I don't know how you, how you imagine God. Um, I remember asking a, a, a men's meeting once. It was an evangelistic meeting. It was full of non-Christians. And I asked them, well, what's, your, what's your image of God? And immediately this bloke sticks his hand up and says, I see God like a dentist. And you think, my goodness. And then I said, what do, actually, what do you mean by that? He said, well, you know, a dentist sort of does you good, but you really don't want to go to see him very often. How do you, actually, how do you imagine God? Is he, is he a rather detached being? He's someone who's, who's just above us. He's, he's so powerful. He's so busy that actually he couldn't really possibly be interested in, in you. Not really. I know we say those things, but is he really interested in you, in your life? Does he, does he really feel? Does God really have any feelings? You know, God is surely so powerful that he's got to be detached emotionally within himself and, and other people. And the only emotions that you might put on God are, are something like love and anger. We tend to sort of just put those on God. Anything else is, is a little bit too human. Now the trouble is when you read the Gospels, you see that, that, that you can't start thinking like that anymore. When you read the Gospels, that's far from the truth. Jesus, we're told, is the image of God. We're told he's the exact representation of God on earth. He's the A to Z of God. So if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. He says of himself, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he is God on earth. You want to know what God looks like? You want to know how God acts? You want to know the inner workings of God? Then you look at Jesus. And so when we come to this passage in, in Matthew 14, you'll see something of the emotions of Jesus. Look at verse 12 of chapter 14. So John has been executed. This is a brutal execution. This is a head chopping off. Uh, John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. See, when he heard this, this isn't just hearing the news, is it? This isn't us just turning the news on and see what happens in, in, in France or what's happening in Turkey. And we're sort of detached, we're moved by it, it's a news item, it's a terrible thing. But in some ways we're detached. No, 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 this is a news item that you hear because you know someone in it. He's just lost his, his cousin and his colleague. And he's not just lost his cousin and colleague by sort of natural death, this is an execution. This is an extraordinary beheading. I mean, just imagine that. And so they hated the preacher so much, off with his head. Shut the mouth of the preacher. We don't want that. So Jesus, we're told, draws, withdraws to a solitary place. And I think we're meant to feel something of the emotion of that. And also... Where Matthew has placed this, which is right at the centre of his gospel, he's also showing us that, that John's murder in this way of the preacher is only a precursor. It's a shadow of what's going to happen to Jesus. It's a shadow of the cross. Shut the mouth of the preacher, cut his head off. 
This is coming to you, Jesus. And all of this has an effect on Jesus. The emotion of being rejected is a very, very heavy weight to carry. And some of you know that to some degree. Probably all of us to some degree. It's a hard thing to be rejected. It's a very hard thing to be None of us like that. It's a heavy burden to carry. And also, but, but rejected when you've been trying to do good is even worse, isn't it? So John and Jesus were coming with the very word of God, the life-giving word of God, a word that brings blessing and not cursing. And yet they're rejected for that. In Matthew, uh, one of the most significant um, parables that Jesus tells is the parable of the sower. It's a pretty central thing to understand Matthew's gospel, if you want to understand the whole sort of unfolding of Matthew's gospel. And in that parable of the sower, you've got a sower that's going out to bless the land. He's not out to curse the land. He's bringing the seed, the word of God, the life, so that the soil itself can produce good stuff. This is good. This is a blessing. This is what the land was made for. And yet, Jesus says in that soil, there'll be some that reject, that won't produce any fruit, that don't want the blessing. And so here is Jesus bringing blessing. Here is John bringing the word of God into the hearts of people and it's off with his head. It's extraordinary, isn't it? So Jesus is not some stoic here. God isn't some mechanical businessman. He's moved. He's hurt. He wants to go to a solitary place. And then the next sentence shows particularly the heart of the living God. Look at verse 13. Hearing this, the crowds followed him. So he's now going to go to a solitary place. He wants to be private because of the events that are happening in his life. But actually the crowd hear and follow him. They follow him on foot. He's got into the boat, or uh, he's, he's going to send his disciples into the boat, and they start to follow him. Where is he going to go? Verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. He had compassion on them. He wants to be alone. There's the heavy weight of emotion. The crowd see that he's going. And they move towards him, and he's got a generous heart. It says, when he saw the large crowd. You see, he sees the crowd above his own grief. This is the Jesus. He sees the crowd, and he has compassion. And it's a very, very strong word, that compassion. It's the word that is most used of the emotion of Jesus. This is God with us. This is the emotion of Jesus when he sees the crowds. It's gut-wrenching. It's your inner guts are stirred up. You can't start having a curry on top of this sort of gut-wrenching stuff. You can't be comfortable. You couldn't sleep at night because your guts are, are actually in agony. That's the word that is used. It's strong. It's much stronger than sympathy. It's much more than that. It's almost putting your, plate, your, your feet in the place of these people and they don't even know the danger they're in and, and your guts are wrenching. And that's the word that is used of the living God that walks on this earth. Jesus, as I said, had told this parable of the sower. 
And he knows that he will sow seed and many will reject, but still he has compassion and carries on sowing. It's an extraordinary act. He could have said, you've killed my cousin. He could have said, when he saw the broken and the blind and the hungry, I owe you nothing. I owe you nothing. You breathe my air, you walk my earth, you drink my rivers. You don't deserve anything from me. You are sinful, you are unworthy, you don't listen. You only are following me for the comfort that you get in this world, the miracles, so that you can have a nicer, safer life, a more comfortable life. But he had compassion. Verse 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now all of that is the background to the story that I want you to get. All of that is the background to this feeding of the 5,000 men. So now let's have a look at this in the few minutes that we've got. The first thing I want you to see about this story is the problem. Look at the problem. So verse 15, they've all followed Jesus uh, and they're crowding around him. He wanted a solitary place. He has compassion on them. It's evening now. And it says in verse 15, as evening approached, the disciples came to him, that's Jesus, and said, look, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. So here's the problem. There's a vast crowd. They've got no food. Yeah? And the disciples are very clear on this. They're they're terrific. I love the disciples. They're so clear. They've got it absolutely right. They see the problem and they're very practical. Yeah? There's the problem. There's the practicality. And they're sort of helping Jesus out here because he doesn't really seem to have seen the problem. (laughs) So the disciples know what's best. And what is best for the disciples... Uh, in their thinking about solving this problem, is to send the crowds away from Jesus. That's, what, that's their thinking. The best thing with such a big crowd is that we can't cope. The most compassionate thing to do is that they get food somewhere. And so the most compassionate thing to do is to say, look, go away. <laughs> I mean, surely that is the wisest thing to do, isn't it, in this situation? Jesus wanted a bit of time on his own anyway, so they seem to be protecting Jesus. Go away. The people can't, certainly can't get what they need here. We haven't, we haven't got enough to, to feed them. And Jesus, look, you talk about compassion and you're trying to show us compassion. We've picked up compassion now. We've got it. We've learned that lesson about compassion for people. See, if you're really going to be compassionate, you've got to think practically, and the most practical thing is to send them away from you. (laughs) So it looks like they've, they've got it right, doesn't it? These people need bread. Now, Jesus is in fact teaching what compassion is. They need bread, but they need a different type of bread. As I'll show you, they need the bread that Jesus breaks. That's real compassion. It's not just physical food here. The real problem isn't just physical. 
Jesus has been dealing with the physical needs of their sickness, but he has to show them that, that it's just a surface problem to feed people. There's a bigger solution. They need the compassion of God, and you disciples think you're compassionate, but you're not. So, look what, look what happens. As evening approached, verse 15, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. There's the problem. Here's the second point I want you to get. You feed them, says Jesus. You feed them. Look at verse 16. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. That's the last place you want to send them. They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. You feed them. I mean, I absolutely love that. You can imagine their reaction, can't you? Is he going out for What did he say? John, what did he say? You feed them. You. He wasn't talking to me, he was talking to you. You can imagine a bit of fight going on there. No, 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 he means us. Us feed them. Is he nuts? Oh, it must be, it must be hearing about John being beheaded. He's, he's, gone, he's gone loony. He needed some sleep. He wanted a solitary place. We need to protect him from himself. The bloke's gone mad. You feed them. He's flipped his lid. You feed them. Verse 17, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. You are mad. This is silly. We haven't the resources. We've got far too limited resources to do what you're asking us to do. 5,000 blokes plus women and children, maybe 15, 20,000 people, maybe even more. What are you talking We've got five fish sandwiches here, Jesus. Five fish sandwiches, and you want us to feed them. You really have gone mad. It's disproportionate. It's just nonsense. They wouldn't even get a grain each, a little crumb each. This is, this is cr- the job that you're asking us to do is impossible. Send them away. Verse 16 and 17 again. Look, Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answers. Five fish sandwiches. Which brings me to the third thing I want you to see about this story. Bring them here to me. <laughs> Do you notice? Bring them here to me. Send them away to find food. Bring your fish sandwiches to me. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves and then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. Start with what you have, which is not enough. Start with what you have, which is a pathetic five fish sandwich pack. Start with what you have. Give what you have to Jesus. 
and then you'll be able to obey his command. That's what we're learning here. Look at verse 20. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. A basketful each. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. (laughs) You only counted the head of the household. So there were 5,000 households there. Now, before I apply that and sort of land that into our lives a bit more, there's one other point I want you to see about this story, which I've called Back to the Future, because it's a very important thing. Back to the Future. Every Jew, and they were all Jews, that saw this miracle should have been taken back in time at this event when they saw this. They should have been taken. It should have reminded them of something in their history. And then Jesus, in Matthew's Gospel, will take that event and go to the future to show them what it really means. An event in their history that they would always celebrate and know about, a massive, massive signpost back to the past when Jesus did this feeding in the wilderness. One of the greatest events in the the Old Testament, of course, is the Exodus. It's the great event of God rescuing people from slavery. Many of you will know that story. God redeems, saves his people. They're in slavery. God does a series of miracles to rescue his people. You know, the ten plagues and that sort of stuff. And the last one, of course, is... If you have the blood of a lamb over your household, then the angel of death, the last of these big curses, the angel of death will pass over because of the blood of the lamb. You are saved by the angel of death by the blood of the lamb. And of course, that set the people free because the uh, Egyptians didn't do that and they lost their firstborn sons and the firstborn animals and so forth and that led to the people being rescued, being redeemed. Now, when they left Egypt, they went through the Red Sea, God led them through and in the desert, he miraculously fed them with bread from heaven, manna from heaven. Do you know those stories? The Exodus itself was such an important event that they were to remember this is how God saves by the blood of the Lamb. And part of that remembrance was to take a piece of the manna and put it in the Ark of the Covenant and to celebrate by eating the Passover. The miracle of Jesus is Jesus feeding like God fed people in the wilderness. And they should have, when they saw Jesus doing this, be reminded of God's provision and the glory of the true exodus, the rescue from slavery to be God's people. All of this is a reminder of them. Do you see that? And the feeding of the 5,000 is a reminder of all of that event. So you go back. Jesus is claiming to be the God that rescues us by the blood of the Lamb, brings us out to be his people in the wilderness, and the provider 
to his people. But it's back. And we're, most, we're supposed to sort of boing like being on a sort of you know, trampoline. You, sort of, you go back and then boing to the future. <laughs> You're meant to do that. This is what's going on here in this event. These events are, need to be interpreted and this is what the Bible is doing. So just go over to Matthew 26. Hold your, um, hold your position in Matthew 14. But just go to Matthew 26 and verse 26. And now listen to Jesus. This is now the Last Supper. This is Passover time. Yeah? All of that's connected. Matthew 26, verse 26, listen. While they were eating, this is the disciples in the upper room with Jesus. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to the disciples, saying... Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood, like the blood of the lamb, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Got it? Now listen to Matthew 14, 19. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves and gave it to his disciples. Same words. The compassion of Jesus for the crowd is not just to feed hungry bellies. The compassion of Jesus for the crowd is that they feed on the bread of life. It's where they know where they're rescued. The compassion for the crowd is to take the message of rescue by the blood of the Lamb to be forgiven of your sins. The compassion of the disciples was just surface. Send them away where they can get bread. And Jesus says, you feed them. Feed them what? Bread that I've broken. My body. My blood. Now there's the story. And how does this all apply to us? How does this apply to us? Here we are, we're blokes in Tasmania. What on earth has this got to do with us? Well, let's bang it home for a little bit. Let's go over those points again. The problem. The problem. One of the big problems with church is that they don't see the problem. One of the big problems is we're so into ourselves and navel-gazing that we don't see the problem. I think that's, that's extraordinary. It, it's extraordinary to me that the church doesn't see the problem. The problem is that there are hundreds of thousands and millions of people out there starving to death. That's the problem. It's extraordinary to me that we would call ourselves a church and we're not broken by that. That's a sad thing, isn't it? We're so wrapped up. I mean, I've been to churches, I guess you have. 
where people don't go to the prayer meeting to pray, Lord, how can we reach the lost? But they come to a business meeting about the color of the walls or the carpet on the floor. I mean, where are we? What is that all about? We get angry at the mass crowds that are in the way. We say words like, it's hell on the roads, there's so many people. No, 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 it's not hell on the roads. It's hell in the people's lives. We're irritated by the crowds, the immigrants coming in. I mean, goodness, we've got our piece of little piece of Australia. We don't want people poking their nose in and taking our jobs. We're rich and comfortable. That's what happens in Britain. One of the reasons for Brexit, one of the reasons was we don't want those foreigners coming into our land. 45,000. 45,000 children on their own, refugees. We don't want them. And if they drown, can you clear the beaches so we can sun ourselves in the Mediterranean? We won't want dead bodies floating around where we want to swim and enjoy ourselves. It's extraordinary, isn't it? At least these disciples saw the problem. I don't know all the statistics of Tasmania, but I know London. Let me apply something of London. You, you, do, you, you, know, you do the, the adjusting. 12% of the UK live in London. 8 million people live in London. It's an extraordinary place. I, I do like London. There are people from all over the world. There are people with all kinds of issues. Every issue you could imagine is there in London. There are thousands and millions, eight million of them, most of them are spending money on bread that doesn't satisfy. They've come to London to earn bread that doesn't satisfy. It's a massive problem. My own town, Kingston, part of London, There are loads of people from other nations. Are we hearing the cry of the multitude? Are you? It's the problem, isn't it? And what does Jesus say? You feed them. (laughs) You feed them. They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now that sounds crazy, doesn't it? I mean, it actually sounds a bit like a Christmas song for us. You know, feed the world. Um, that sort of stuff. What's he, what's he, ha, look, the job is utterly beyond us. Utterly beyond us. If you brought all the Christians together, and I'm talking about a very vague understanding of what the word Christian is, you bring them in as well. All those that claim to be Christian in London, it's only 8.3%. That's a massive job to reach 8 million. Look at at us here. It's a a lovely crowd. It's a 
Fantastic. You feed Tasmania. You. This. Us. We've got to get together somehow. Us. And Jesus says, men, head of the household, feed. You feed them. Does he know what he's talking about? The job is too big. It's so big, I sort of want to ignore it, think he's a bit of a loony, and actually get involved in arguing about the colour of the paint on the wall. (laughs) At least I can do something about that. It shouldn't be purple. (laughs) You know? At least I can see some success in that. I got it green, I got it green. Green is there because of me. You know? You feed them. Which brings me to that third point. Bring them to me. Bring what? Your fish sandwich. It's impossible. What a ridiculous task. But you feed them with the five fish sandwiches. Yeah, you bring them to me. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. We have such little but bring them here to me. I mean, I don't know about you. I guess as I go on in my Christian life, the smaller I feel, actually. It's funny, isn't it? It's a funny thing, the Christian life. I mean, when I was first converted, I just assumed thousands would get converted with one sermon. (laughs) You feed them. You. Bring your little fish sandwich to him, and he breaks that. And then go. It's just extraordinary, isn't it? He's into small things, Jesus. Using frail mustard seeds. Little mustard seeds. It's not a coconut, is it? Nothing. But when it's planted, it grows into a tree. And birds of the air come and gather in the Bring your brain. Have you ever brought your brain to Jesus? You said, that's definitely a fish sandwich, my brain. (laughs) Yeah. Well, bring it to Jesus. Bring it. You say, I can't understand deep things. Bring it to Jesus. I I remember remember a bloke in London uh, that was an alcoholic. Uh, When I first got to know him, I had to get up very regularly in the middle of the night because he was in the gutter. He was an alcoholic and uh, and it had blown his brain, the alcohol, to some degree. And, and, And he still is suffering the consequences of that. But I remember when he was converted. It was amazing. He got hold of deep truths. He couldn't explain them in theological language, but who wants that? He was one of the best door-to-door people. In fact, he was the best door-to-door person I've ever met. I would knock on the doors and I could never sort of bring anyone to meetings. We put on a thing where, a Christmas thing, and you were to go and invite people. He brought 10 people just in one uh, session of door knocking. He brought his brain to Jesus. He used his brain to tell people the truths 
about the Lord Jesus Christ. He understood the basic truths of Jesus. Bring your brain. What about your heart? You say, well, it's hard. It's a hard heart. It's bring it to Jesus and ask him, would you help me love God and love people? What about your tongue? Like Isaiah, wouldn't you bring that to Jesus? Ask him to cleanse it, to use it, to waggle out the truth of the gospel that will feed people. What about your manhood? If you brought that to Jesus, you're a man, and so I'm bringing that to Jesus. I'm bringing what I am to Jesus. But I'm not a very good brain. I haven't got a great heart. I've got a rubbish tongue. I'm not a very manly man. Bring it all to Jesus. Bring them. Often we say, and churches do this, I don't have this or I don't have that. Don't worry about not having stuff. Bring what you do have to Jesus. Churches say, how can we do this job? Let's just be insular. Bring what you have to Jesus under his command who's telling us to feed. Do you see that? He's an expert, isn't he, at small things? David has a sling and he knocks Goliath off with a little stone. Samson has the jaw of a donkey and he kills hundreds, thousands of Philistines and chops their foreskins off. Not saying the church is about that, but you know. Gideon has a smaller and ever smaller army. If you're young here and inexperienced, don't leave it too long before you do something for Jesus that is too big for you. If you're old, take early retirement. You've been moaning about the job all your life anyway. So take early retirement. Get it. If you're old, don't leave it too long before you do something new for Jesus in spreading the word of of the gospel. Get compassion. Gospel compassion. It's not just feeding them so that they're more comfortable in this world. It's feeding them with the death and the resurrection and the bread of life in Jesus. As a church, stop just trundling on. Don't leave it before you stop and say, hold it. Can you hear the problem out there? Somehow, is there something we could do to feed feed them? Bring your money, bring your time, your inadequacies and let him break them so that you can do what he commands, which is you feed them with the message of salvation. Let's uh, stop and bow and heads and I'll hand over to Mark and think about what we should do.